Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today I want to talk to you about the life-changing power of God's Word. Uh, our culture has really, really changed. Today, uh, today you say to somebody, well, the Bible says, and they're apt to say, well, Oprah said, you know, and put Oprah on the same level as the Bible. They're kind of like, well, who cares what the Bible says? You know, Oprah's, Oprah said something different. And who's to know what's right? So somebody said, you know, why should I even believe the Bible? Uh, we're not going to take a lot of time to talk about apologetics. And by, by the way, apologetics is not apologizing for the Bible. Right? Apologetics is the study of how to prove that the Bible is true. But I just want to mention one reason why every person should believe the Bible. Right? Because the Bible is the only book in the world. Not, there's, there's not the, 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 the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, nobody has this. There's only one book in the world that gives hundreds of prophecies in great detail that have come to pass. Right? I'm just going to give you a little example of this in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Nearly 50 times in the Old Testament, God prophesied that he would take the Jewish people and he would take them and disperse them all through the world. But in the last days, he would bring them back to their own land. Of course, Titus comes to Jerusalem in 70 AD. He destroys the city, destroys the temple, and Israel as a nation ceased to exist for 1,878 years. In May of 1948, Israel once again became a nation. And at that, that moment, all these prophecies about God dispersing them and bringing them back to their own land begin to take place. Then it says in the 34th verse, it says, the desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all those who pass by. Now, this is really an interesting prophecy because when this prophecy is made, Israel was not desolate. You remember when the Jews went into, the, into what today we call Israel? It was called the promised land, Remember? It was the land that flowed with milk and honey, right? They came back, when the spies came back, they brought back some of the fruit, right? They have a cluster of grapes that is so big, they have to carry it on a pole between two guys. I mean, you think you get big grapes at Costco? These suckers are the size of muskmelon, all right? You take, you take one grape, cut it open, throw out the pit, and it's lunch, all right? This, this place was amazing, all right? It flowed with milk and honey, the promised land. So 1983, I'm in Israel, my first trip. We're going down the road. The tour guide says, look out the bus, look out the window. This is where Absalom's army fought David's army. Right? Now I look out the window and I'm like, can't be. Now this is what the Bible says. The Bible says the forest was so thick that the forest killed more people than the battle. Right? 20,000 people are killed. And the forest kills most of them. And I look out, there's not one tree. There's not one shrub. And I literally could not see one blade of grass. It had become totally desolate. Now, when the Jews left, it began to be desolate. During the, the Ottoman Empire, they taxed you based on the trees that you had on your land. I mean, you can't wait till April 15. I mean, they didn't like taxes neither. And it was very simple. The way that you could reduce your tax structure was cut down trees. 
So they cut them down. Well, you cut down enough trees and you get erosion, you get enough erosion, you get climate change. And that's exactly what happened, right? That place that once was like the Garden of Eden, it became desolate, right? Now, when the Jews came back, they began to replant. And of course, they became the world's number one authority on drip irrigation, where with just a little bit of water, you get a huge harvest. And today, Israel produces more food per acre than any nation on the face of the earth. So it won't be desolate any longer. It, it said in the, when people go by, this is what they'll say. That place that has been, was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And uh, we're going next year. You come with us. And it, we will go down that road and you will... You, your jaw is going to drop. You will look out and you will see the most lush, beautiful farms, orchards, just mile after mile after mile after mile. Places that 75 years ago, they were desolate. But today, it's like the Garden of Eden. Exactly what God said. He said that waste ruined, uh, excuse me, the waste desolate and ruined cities will be fortified. They'll be inhabited. Well, we keep hearing about the settlements. How many of you listen to the news? The settlements, the settlements, the settlements. Almost without exception, every settlement is built on the ruins of an ancient city. Well, we're there. We spend our Friday night in Ephrat with uh, the Orthodox Jews there. Now, Ephrat is right across from Bethlehem. It's been rebuilt, right? Ephrat is the ancient area, the ancient city where Boaz was, right? It's where he and Ruth got married. In fact, you go to the park and they can show you the exact spot. And they say right here is where Ruth and Boaz got married. But here's the thing, every one of those settlements, almost without exception, are built on the ruins of the ancient city. That is exactly what the Bible said was going to take place, right? But this just doesn't happen in a couple verses. This happens tens of times, twenties of times, hundreds of times, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. I don't believe that you can go to the Bible with an open mind and look at the prophecies that have been fulfilled and not realize this book is a supernatural book. This book is God speaking to us. In Acts chapter 20, Paul wrote and he said this. He said, I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, God's word will build you up. It will make you grow spiritually. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know, there's a number of things that are necessary for spiritual growth, but the foundation of all spiritual growth is on the word of God. As newborns babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How do we grow spiritually? One of the things that we have to have to grow spiritually is we have to have the word of God. It is spiritual food, right? Um, your physical body wants physical food, but your spiritual body, your spirit man needs spiritual food. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Now, when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they come into the desert and there's no food. And they cry out to God and they say, God, give us food. And, and God says to Moses, okay, I'm going to provide food for you. Now in Psalms, it says in one place, it says the bread of heaven. And in another place, it says the corn of heaven, right? So I just figured it was cornbread. <laughs> right? So God's going to give them the cornbread of heaven, all right? Did you know you're going to have, you're, you're going to eat in heaven? You knew that, right? 
All right. You're going to eat in heaven. All right. So, so what God said, he says, what is going to happen, he says, every morning you get up and you go outside and he says, and I'm going to rain down a little bread from heaven. He said, and you go out and you get as much as you need for that day. He said, cook it, eat it, do whatever you want to do. He said, but don't keep any of it. He said, because whatever you keep overnight, he said, it's going to be full of maggots in the morning. Now, now Jesus said, I am the true manna bread that came down from heaven. He's saying, I'm the type of that word. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the manna principle is true about God's word. The manna principle was you need to pick it up every day. And the stuff from today is not good for tomorrow. So what he's saying is this, you and I need to get in the Bible every day, right? And what you get today is good for today, but it's not good enough for tomorrow. You need a fresh word from God every single day. The Bible says where there's no revelation, you cast off restraint. It's saying we need a fresh revelation of good, from God's word every single day. And I want to encourage you, get in the Bible every single day. I've been saved for 43 years. And for 43 years, there is not one day that I did not get in the Bible. Used to be, I'd always read, always just read it. Nowadays, sometimes I get my phone. Here's, here's what's great. You can just get, you can get the Bible on your phone. All you do is you get up in the morning, just hit boing. And there it is. You know, you, you, you're, you're getting dressed. Listen to the Bible. You're going to work. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to some stupid talk show. Listen to the Bible. Listen, don't listen to the news. No wonder you're depressed. <laughs> CNN, constant negative news. You don't need that. All right. And you know, here's the thing about the news. It changes every day. But the word of the Lord, it will endure for, it'll endure forever. Uh, please, if you're not reading your Bible, get it on your phone, get it on your tablet and just take 10 minutes on the way to work when you're getting dressed, while you're having breakfast. Sometimes, sometime that works for you every day, hit that button and listen to the Bible, right? It is food for your inner man. You will not grow spiritually without the word of God. Right? Jeremiah said this, he said, your words were found, I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. There may be a, a time where getting in the Bible is a discipline for you. You make yourself do it. But if you will do it, it will become the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. I would much rather miss breakfast than Bible. Hello. Okay, there's a few of you that are with me. All right. I didn't think this was going to be the most popular message I'd ever given you, you know. Second Timothy 3, listen to this. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. And it is useful to teach us what is true. Ooh, that's going to, that's going to bother some people. Because we're living in a rationalistic society that says there is no truth. There's no absolute truth. It's true for you, but it's not true for me, or it's true for me, and it's not true for you. But listen, something is not true because I believe it, and it's not true because you believe it. It's true because God said it. And if God said it, it doesn't matter if you don't like it. It's still true, right? So it's going to teach us what is true. The Bible says there is absolute truth. Listen, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Now, this will really get some people mad. Tell them, look, you're living. How many of you know you don't want to tell people they're living wrong? Who are you to judge me? 
All right. But the Bible will make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It will straighten us out and help us do what is right. It's God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. Right? The Bible's going to show us what's wrong. It's going to say, look, this is what's wrong. This is the way that you need to go. Somebody says you should read the Bible for yourself. I believe that, but you really ought to read the Bible against yourself. Hello? You know what I'm saying? Because the Bible's going to show you what is wrong in your life. Right? God gave us the Bible. Listen, God gave us the Bible to change the way we think. That's why he gave you the Bible, to change the way that you think. So the Bible is God speaking to us. Somebody said the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. Isaiah 55, listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked man forsake his ways. So you can be away from God in your ways, in the things that you do. You can be doing wrong things, living wrong. And the Bible says, if that's you, you need to forsake your ways, the things you do. But now listen, in the unrighteous man, his thoughts or his beliefs. So you can be away from God in the things that you do, but you can be away from God in what you believe, right? And if you're away from God in your thoughts and what you believe, you're just as far away from God as the person who's away from God in the things that they do. All right. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy on him to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. Now look at me. People say, oh, that's it right there. You just never know what God's going to do. You know, he's mysterious, his wonders to perform. You just don't know what God might do. Listen, God always does chapter and verse. That's what God does. God does the Bible. Always. God is not schizophrenic. The sun never rises in the West. You don't wake up and go, I hope we have gravity today. God, God is not confused, but he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And people think, well, there it is. You just never know God's thoughts. You never know his ways. No, the reason God gave us the Bible was so we could find out his thoughts and find out his ways. Right? Because you know, if you go to Barnes and Nobles and you buy a book and you pick up that book, you start reading that book, you're reading the thoughts of the person that wrote that book. But when you read the Bible, you're not reading the thoughts of Moses or Joshua or David or Peter or Paul. When you read the Bible, you're reading the thoughts of God because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed, right? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. All right. Now, scientists tell us, astrologists tell us that we have stars out there, some of them that are close by, are a hundred million light years away. So in other words, we get in Jeannie's truck, Ford pickup, 150, love it. All right. Hit the, hit the accelerator and we go up to 186,000 miles per second. About seven and a half times around the world, every second, 
And we do that for a hundred million years. And we're going to get to that star. How many? It is a long ways away. All right. Now, God says like, like that star, like the heavens are higher than the earth. That's how much higher, how much better my ways are than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, you might think, well, it's just a little, you know, I'm just, a, just think a little different. You are missing God by light years. Right? And when you're missing God, you're missing not just his will, you're missing everything, the blessings that he has for you. So then he says, for as the rain come down, the snow from heaven didn't return there, but water the earth, make it bring forth in bud and it will give seed to the sower, bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. This is what God's saying. He says, my word will show you my ways and my thoughts. That's where we're going to find it. We're not going to get it from the world. Right? So the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. You see, we can be away from God in our thoughts, in our beliefs, all right? And we are light years away from God, but as we think in our hearts, so are we. Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, the way you live is by the word of God. You're not going to have the life God wants for us without the word of God. When the apostles are thrown in prison for preaching, an angel comes and breaks them out of prison and says to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Some of your translations say this new life, all the words of this life. You see, see what, what, what God wants to affect in us is every part of our life, our work, how we treat others, our marriage, how we forgive our kids, our time, our money, our attitudes, our morals, our motives, everything is to be affected. He says, tell them about this new life. The Bible says in Colossians, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear. Christ, who is your what? Your life, not your Sunday life, not your spiritual life, right? Not half of your life, but Christ who is your life. You see, what, 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 what God wants to do is he wants to have an effect on every single area of your in my life. He is to be our life. Again, not our spiritual life, not our Sunday life, not half our life. He's our life. Revelation 19 talks about Jesus. It says that his eyes were like a flame of fire. His, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dripped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. So Jesus, his name is the Word of God. He is the living Word. Right here, I have a copy of the written Word. I remember years ago, probably 40 years ago, I was reading a book by Derek Prince. And he had this, this scripture that he was, was talking about here in Revelation. And he made this statement. He said, you have no more room in your life for Jesus than you have for his word. You have no more room in your life for Jesus than you have for his word. His name is called the word of God. This is an exact expression of who he is. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it addresses the king in Israel when he became king, what he needed to do, right? And every new king was required to take the Bible and write it out himself, right? 
took the law, the part of the Bible they had, and he had to handwrite himself a copy. And he was required to keep it on or near his person at all times, and he was required to read from it every day. And I want to encourage you to act like a king, get a Bible, get it on your tablet, on your phone, and be in that thing every single day. And it shall be to him that he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and the statutes and to do them. Now notice what he's going to do. He's to keep it and he's to learn to fear the Lord his God. This is the problem that, that we see today. And if you think about it, you're going to see this in the church, particularly what we would refer to as the Western church. Uh, there's no fear of God. We love God, but we don't fear God. It's very interesting. You look at, at many of the songs that we sing and they talk about the loving God and we're supposed to love God, right? But we're supposed to do more than just love God. There's supposed to be a fear of God, a reverential fear of God. Now, the fear of the Lord, listen, is what the Bible says, is to turn away from evil. When you fear God, you turn away from evil. Now, when we have sin in our life, and we know there's sin in our life, right? And we just keep on living with it and living with it and living with it and living with it. What does that mean? That means we don't fear the Lord and we need to fear the Lord. The Bible says that the king was to keep it, all right? Now, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about what that, that word actually means. But, but the rabbis tell us that what the scripture has, it has many faces and many, they actually say hundreds of thousands of applications. So here's what... It says in Peter, it says, knowing this first, no prophecy of scripture was given, scripture was given by any private interpretation. So this is what that means. That means that it doesn't mean one thing to ail and something else to me. There is one interpretation, but listen, there's a hundred thousand applications. You say, what does that mean? That means I read it and the Holy Ghost says to me, treat Jeannie better. Right? And Al reads it and it says, treat your employees better. And Tim reads it and God speaks to him to do something different. All right? That's why you can read the Bible. You can read that same thing 50 times and you read it and all of a sudden you're like, ha, I never knew, where'd that come from? I never even knew that was there. And you already read it 50 times. But what the spirit of God is doing is he is applying that truth to your life. And all of a sudden it just comes alive to you. Right? So there's one true interpretation, but there's a hundred thousand different ways that that same truth can be applied in a person's life. That's why I'm up here talking. It is amazing to me how people come and say, oh, you were talking just right to me. That was just for me. No, it wasn't. The Holy Spirit took it to you. All right. He's applying it to your life. Right? That, that, that's his job and he's good at it. It says that he's to keep it. Right? That word means to keep it like a keepsake or a treasured possession. It means to guard something as if your life depended on it. It means to keep track of like a courtroom stenographer. It means to watch over like an air traffic controller. It means to watch like a night watchman, to preserve like a taxidermist, to examine like a forensic scientist, to cross-examine like a prosecuting attorney, to put in a vault like a banker, to make, put in a contract like a real estate agent and to decipher like a code decipherer, all right? Now, the Bible directs our steps, listen, into the wisdom of God. 
So when you become a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature, a new creation, old things have passed away, all things have become new. The Living Bible says it like this, you become a brand new person on the inside. God does something in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes, he lives in you. Romans says that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And you, in, inside, you, you, you are new and you're different. Your heart is full. But listen, your head is empty. You got a full heart, but you got an empty head. Right? So listen to Joshua chapter 1. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. And then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Now, I always thought that God would make your way prosperous, but that's not what it says. It says, then you will make your way prosperous, right? Why? Because you've got the wisdom of God. And when you've got the wisdom of God, you'll make the right choices. I recently had lunch with someone and they kind of gave me their testimony as we were going on. If I remember it all right, for about a day and a half, his life was just falling apart. And for like a day and a half, he was just in his, in his house, in his bed, pretty much in a fetal position, just crying and saying, God, why, 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 why? And he actually got to the point, he took out a gun and put it right under his chin. And he was ready to pull the trigger. And he said, I, I heard what was, he said was to him an audible voice. And it says choices, choices. Now he was in this place, he's going, why God, why God, why God, why God, why God? Anybody ever had that? God, why is it that? Why God? Why me? Why? Why? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And he hears what is to him an audible voice and it says choices. And here's what God was saying. He said, he, he understood that he wasn't there because God put him there. He was there because he had made bad choices. Now, now let me ask you this question. Is there anybody here like him who's made bad choices? All right. You know what we tend to do? We tend to blame God. But listen, this is Proverbs 19. It says, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. In other words, we make bad decisions and it messes things up. And then we're mad at God. And we go, why God? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why God? Why did you do this? And God's going, because you're dumb. <laughs> you made bad choices. And your bad choices brought you right where you are. And now you're going, God, why did you do this to me? Right? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. And then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Listen, God gave us the Bible to change the way we think. You will never change what you do unless you change the way you think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. All right. Isaiah 8 and verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. Here's what the Bible just did. It said, I'm speaking for God. The Bible is God speaking. And if you disagree with the Bible, it's because there's no light, there's no truth in you. 
The Bible makes the claim that it is speaking to us from God. Now, here's what we do. Instead of making our choices based on the Bible, so often we make our choices based on culture. Well, everybody's doing it. Everybody, it might be all right. Everybody's doing it. Listen, everybody was messed up in Sodom and God did not grade on a curve. Right? He is the Lord. He changes not. You see, yeah, but everybody doesn't matter. Right? If we make our choices based on culture, we're going to be wrong. Psalms 119, verse 128, David said, I consider your precepts, your word, concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. He said, God, you're right about everything you talk about. And anybody who disagrees with you, they're wrong. I hate every false way. We base our decisions on tradition. It's always been done that way. I actually had somebody say this to me. They said, I don't care what the Bible says. I've always done it like that. Well, you are messed up. You're wrong. Right? You're wrong. We, we base our decisions on reason. It's logical. It seems right to me. I just think that this just makes good sense. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Right? It can seem right. It's wrong. If it disagrees with God, it's wrong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. All right. We base our decisions on emotions. It feels right. Listen, your feelings are fickle. You'll, if, if I, listen, if I made my decisions based on feelings, I would not be your pastor. All right. Your feelings will take you to hell. Very bluntly. Right? What do we need to base our decisions on? Base them on the word of God. Now, one last thought before we leave today. Romans 12, verse 2. says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. But be transformed. Be changed. Literally, that word, we get our word metamorphosis from it. Right? Like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Right? But be changed by the renewing of your mind or by changing the way you think. You will never change your behavior until you change how you think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you can pray for 20 years and say, God, I want to change, I want to change, change me, 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 change me. And you can cry, but you will not change until you change the way you think. Just over 10 years ago, we were still in the other building, end of a service, Sunday morning. I hang around front, talk with people, pray with people, meet people. A guy comes up and he waits in the aisle until everybody else is gone. And by the time he gets to me, he's already crying. And he says, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. And I said, well, what's, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, well, I'm committing adultery. He says, and I've been committing adultery about two years. He says, I don't even enjoy it. He said, but I just can't quit. Would you pray for me that I quit? And I said, well, I'll pray for you, but that won't do much good. Now, when I said that, it was like you'd slapped him. He's like, well, what am I here for? I said, now, listen. I said, well, you do something. I said, this is what you need to do. This will change you. I said, every day you read Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. Now, those are the two chapters in Proverbs that talk about sexual sin, how you fall in, and what are the consequences. I said, and then every week, 
I want you to read the story of Samson and what sexual sin cost him and David falling into sin with Bathsheba and what it cost him. I said, will you do that? And he said, yes, I will. Now, what is the purpose of the Bible? Change the way you think. That's what it will do. It will change the way that you think. And when it changes the way you think, you'll change what you do. Change what you do. I prayed with him. All right. I believe, you know, he never came back and, and told me exactly what happened. But I believe that it brought about change. You know, I heard about a cannibal who was converted to Christianity in the South Islands. Sitting by a large pot, he was reading the Bible. And an anthropologist wearing a pith hat approached him and asked, what are you doing? The ex-cannibal replied, well, I'm reading the Bible. The anthropologist scoffed and said, don't you know that modern man, civilized man, has rejected that book? It's nothing but a pack of lies. You shouldn't waste your time reading it. The cannibal put the Bible down, looked the man over from head to toe, and said, sir, if it was not for this book, you would be in the pot. (laughs) The word of God has changed my life and my appetite. God's word will change the way that you think, right? But for that to happen, you've got to be in God's word and you have to meditate in God's word. And I I just want to beg every one of you, read your Bible, get a Bible app, take time every day. Put that manna principle to work in your life. And if you will spend time in that word, it, it may not happen just like that. The Bible says here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept on precept. Here a little, there a little. Little by little, the word of God is going to go into your heart. It's going to change the way you think. And when it changes the way you think, it will change the way you live. You will no longer be conformed to this world. You won't live like the world lives. You won't think like the world thinks. But you will be transformed. You'll go through a metamorphosis. And you'll change like a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. And the Bible says that you'll know. You will walk in the will of God. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You know, God sits high, but he sees low. There is no problem, difficulty, situation, addiction, hurt, rejection, sorrow, pain that you're facing or have faced but that God does not know. The Bible says he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. So Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He has forgiveness, freedom. He has help for every need, healing for your soul, hope for the future. Jesus said, you must be born again. So what does that mean? That means you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And if you have not given him all of your heart and life, you still have it. He's not a thief to steal it. You need to give him all of your heart and life. He said, you must be born again. And when you do that, he will come into your heart. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if you will open, I will come in. He'll come in. He'll blood wash you from your sin, make you new on the inside a part of God's family. If that's you, you're away from God. You need to get right with God. You need forgiveness. Looking at your life, you say, I'm going in the wrong direction. I want you to get ready to lift your hand. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, just lift that hand. 
We're going to pray, and God is going to meet you right here in this place. Right? The first thing that happens is you say, as you, oh, excuse me, as you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior, and I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I'm turning my back on my old life. I'm not going to live to please myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Two. As you lift that hand, this is what you're saying. Today I'm receiving Jesus. He's coming into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me new on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three. Lift that hand up right now. Lift it up. Pray with me. I'm not right. I want to get right. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Another right here. Somebody else. Thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. God bless you. 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 Others, just lift it high. Include me. Thank you. Over here to my right. God bless you. All right. Now, everybody, would you please stand? Nobody moving unless you lifted your hand. If you lifted your hand, look right at me. Move to the aisle that's nearest you. Grab whoever you came with, whatever you brought, but make your way right here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. We're going to say amen. When we do, your past is going to be gone. You are going to be right with God. He's going to make you new on the inside. As you confess Jesus before men, he said, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We will wait for you to get down here before we pray. Awesome. Awesome. Come on down. I saw other hands. Yeah, come on. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, going to work for every one of you, will call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise. Will be saved. So when we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. Part of his family. On your way to heaven. Most important decision you're ever going to make. And remember this, God cannot lie. He said, this is going to work for you and you and you, those coming from the balcony. Awesome. Thank you guys for making your way down. All right. Come on down. All right. Everybody, would you take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together with everyone that's come forward. Say, oh God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my king, my Lord. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer. That you blood washed me from my sin. That my past is gone that you make me new on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.